You want some sexy? You want to laugh? Licensed to talk. Atembe Kesher im podcast Licensed to Talk. Todaraba. It's as good a time to ask as any, I suppose. Are we family or what? This podcast is brought to you by First in Buffalo, 391 Abbott Road. Fireman owned and operated. Custom apparel, custom hats, custom embroidery. Get your custom gear at First in Buffalo. Bob's Barbershop, 2098 Seneca Street. $14 haircuts, 18 with a beard. Closed on Wednesdays. Owner Dan Callahan. Go in there and talk some baseball. Personal trainer Ryan Corton. A bachelor's in exercise science, he will get the job done. His mantra, Marky, is get a grip. We all have the resources and the opportunity, so get a grip and get down to business. Check him out on King Carlito Fit on Instagram. Bottle Rocket Beer Reserve. Check out the Rocket for great local and award-winning brews. Looking for a spot for the game or a pint of Guinness? Go in there. If you don't know what to order, order a number one. Get to the Rocket for gift certificates, spring beers, and all your beer essential needs. You gotta see the action there on Seneca Street. Vinyl Vibes Buffalo. Check them out on Instagram. Vinyl Vibes Buffalo is our sticker maker. Look for those stickers around, and you can get those stickers at another one. Our sponsor, Dog Ears Bookstore. Stop into the cafe and bookstore to enjoy a welcoming hometown atmosphere while supporting their programs that spread creativity and literacy throughout South Buffalo and beyond. Don't get your coffee from Timmy. Stop in and get it from Tommy. All right, Marky, episode 43. We're on the hotline here from Ireland, Alan Mulville Hill. I I knew I was going to do it. (laughs) Go ahead, Alan. How do you say it? Fantastic delivery. <laughs> uh, no, you got it. Pretty much, Mobo. It was just a, we could all uh, sense the apprehension in your voice. That's what that was. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about whiskey. Alan is the European whiskey ambassador from Roco Whiskey. Tell us a little about Roco Whiskey, Alan. Yeah. Hey. Well, thanks for having me. Um, well, not quite much. Uh, Roco Whiskey. We're fairly new Irish whiskey on the market. Uh, we're about three and a half years old now, um, and we've just finally opened our own distillery in the heart of Dublin in a place called the Liberty. Um, not sure how familiar you guys would be with it all, but it's an area that's super synonymous with whiskey production for hundreds of years in Ireland and was the real sort of center, epicenter of it all. Um, we're kind of, uh, you guys touched on it actually in your previous podcast with Samir about how we were once this thriving industry of distilleries, and it all came crumbling down to about two in the place of a hundred years. But this is this is where it all where it all happened. Actually, within three kilometers of where we are now, there was a thing called the Golden Triangle, which is really cool. It's really nice story of like thirty different breweries and distilleries that were together within three kilometers, and they were all just producing excellent spirits for the for the world, essentially. The, but Irish whiskey was a huge category for a long time, not so much at the moment, where the vast majority of the fucking world thinks it's just Jameson. Uh, but <laughs> at, at, at our peak, we were producing like 10 million, 10 million gallons of spirit a year as a, as a nation, which is huge, you know. Um, we, there was a couple of, a couple of things <laughs> that were the cause.
Wars, you were down for one of them was a war with the Civil War with the English. Actually, you guys won yours and we fucking lost those big time. Um, we also had Prohibition in the States, which didn't help. Uh, you guys are massive fans of World Juice and Prohibition just killed off Patch Raiders, which is a huge, huge market for us. Um, yeah, equally, we were kind of notoriously a proud people and we did this, a certain style of whiskey, which was slow, distilled. I think apostles, so if you guys would be familiar with like Green Spot or Red Breast or Milton Theories, that is something that's a style called Single Apostol. Um, and when the advent of more efficient, sort of more flavor, uh, more less flavor led whiskey came into, into the production through column distillation, which is like probably like vodka and gin. Um, it's very efficient, but it doesn't leave a huge amount of room for flavor at the end of the day. When that came in, we rejected it very heavily in Ireland, and the guy who created a man called Amaeus Coffey, who was a tax man for the English went and lived in Scotland, and said to those travelling Scottish people, hey, do you want some cheaper whiskey? Do you want cheaper means of production? And they said, fucking absolutely. Uh, so their product would have been a lot cheaper to purchase as well. And then all those things kind of led to this perfect storm. We got a little Roco whiskey in front of us, and I know you do, so let's raise a glass. Uh, happy March. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Here's to Rowan yeah. Cole Whiskey. No surprise you have the Irish guy on for the March series. <laughs> you know, we, we we try not to bastardize it. <laughs> no, you guys are, you guys are saying it. Yeah. <laughs> respect for the respect. respect. How, how did you become a bartender? Oh, wow, fuck. Okay, so I, I was in school studying uh, computer programming, and I was about two months into my course, and I looked around the room, and I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I don't give a fuck about statistics. I'm going to quit. And I went home with my parents and said, I'm leaving college. I'm going to go travel the world on this thing called the fucking gap year. Um, and my parents said, no, you're not doing that. <laughs> and they were like, you've got to get a fucking job. What are you going to do? And I was like, okay, fair enough. Um, so I went and did a course in hospitality here in Ireland, which was by the government, which was amazing. Uh, really taught you like, the basics really well. Um, and then I went to work in a hotel bar in my local town. In down in Cork, uh, and the first day I was there, there was a called Paul. I hadn't spoken to him in years, but I'll never forget him. He was the guy that all the locals wanted uh, to serve, wanted him to serve them. So if you were new, the locals wouldn't let you go near their pints or their beers because they had a certain way. And actually, perfect at the time, and Paul was the guy. He was about ten years older than me, and he was the coolest fucking thing I'd ever seen as a young man just out of school. And uh, I made it my mission to be the guy that the locals asked for. Uh, from there, then once I had kind of reached that point in my, <laughs> my illustrious career as a fucking young fucking uh, bartender, I decided to go traveling a bit once I had some money, and then started to see all across the world that like bartending is a much more uh, sort of valued. Like here in Ireland, it's important that people can pour pints, but across the world, and particularly when I go to the states, you see like the, the caliber of bartender is so much higher. They essentially train chefs who have like. The ability to talk to people as opposed to war at four fucking um, KPs and shout at people for not doing things correctly. But like the fact that you have to be always on and engaging to customers as well as being able to create amazing flavors was a really cool challenge to me. Uh, and quite frankly, having this accent, people assumed I knew about whiskey. So they would be like, hey, like, tell me about whiskey. And I'm like, I don't fucking know. I drink fucking heads like the rest of the fucking kids. Um, uh, but I went off and. Uh, Learned a bit about it because I, you know, no one wants to be the guy who doesn't know. So I went to learn a little bit about Irish whiskey and found I ended up really enjoying it. And it kind of just progressed crazy from there. 
uh, moved from like a high volume Irish bars in New Zealand to working in fancy cocktail bars to moving to Australia and working in the best Irish whiskey bar in the world at the time. Uh, we got voted best of, uh, and then that was open the same year and caused like a serious stir. And then yeah, just like traveling the world, like bartending has been amazing to me. What are some uh, pet peeves of a bartender from Ireland? Because I'm I'm a bartender of 21 years. Oh man, you really just went over the kind of ones here early on. Early <laughs> doors, you open the kind of ones. This thing that's very common actually here in Ireland is where you'd be like, hey, how are you? And the person would just say, beer, please. Or like, beer. <laughs> They're like, fuck you, I'm not a vending machine. That fucking thing grinds my fucking gears. Actually, my big pet at the moment, because I've been asking about it, my soapbox at work, is that you go to restaurants all over the world and you will pay like, from literally hundreds of dollars to eat like pig's face or fucking anus that's been prepared in a beautiful way. And people like praise the praise the ingenuity and the innovation behind making this look good. And then you'll go to like bars and people will be trying to do like the gronies and people are like, oh, that's disgusting. I don't want fucking bitter shit in my drink. I mean, why, why don't we as bartenders get to play around with big flavor like that? It just doesn't seem to be that correlation between kitchen and, and bar. One of the things that I've uh, found People, friends of mine went to Ireland and they, they say, you can't order a car bomb over there. I don't like when people order those. Have you ever heard or had that interaction with people from the States? The Irish car bomb. I'm going to level with you. Yeah. When I, when I, when I was uh, very young, we used to drink them. So when I was like 19, 20, I'd be going into bars being like, can I get a fucking Irish car bomb, please? Because it was just the quickest way to get wasted. I mean, I'm going to get in trouble for work for saying this shit, but, like, that's what we did. Yeah. However, the older I get and the more fucking upset with humanity in general, I become. I mean, I'm just like, how fucking dare you say that? Because people really fucking died. But, I mean, no one really means any offense to the other Irish problems. Right. And I guess that's what I kind of have to look at at the end of the day. However, it's like, the guy who created it is a fucking asshole. I don't know who it is. <laughs> you put that name to it. He's a dick. But, <laughs> uh, I mean... Drink itself is actually terrible. Um, like Bailey's is sweet, fucking Jameson is delicious, and Guinness is certainly fucking delicious. So, I mean, he's a genius and an asshole at the same time. But those things, there's um, black and tan was the one that always killed me. Okay. So I really hated that because that would, that would always come to my place of people just not knowing the history behind that. So the black and tans were this, they were Irish guys hired by the English to enforce the English laws. And they were just savage humans. Like they just didn't give a fuck about humanity. With no empathy whatsoever. And they would uh, kneecap people. Um, so they would kneecap them and then they would tar, I think called tar and feather. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. So these guys were extremely un- unpopular, obviously. And like fucking hated. So when people come in and like order a black and tan, which is uh, just a shitty mixture of up and two beers. I'm like, wow, this, how, how am I saying thank you? I'm giving this guy his money. <laughs> giving this guy his beer in the same pack. And really, I should be offended. Yeah, we have a lot of people, uh, you know, who are of the Irish heritage, and they travel there all the time. And I've never been. You know, how, yeah. how do you accept the, the tourism? Like, do you love it when people come and you get to show them new things? Or is it like, God, you're going to come and order a black and tan? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah, that's a really good question. In Dublin, is not a tourism country. Like, we we are a country that's basically without tourism or stuff. Um, I guess there is this uh, idea of like young culture tourists coming into town and like being super offensive and 
have been over that. There's like jokes about the IRA and stuff that float, float around quite a bit. Uh, I've had some crazy shit being said to me in my life, for sure. Uh, I've had people asking me, like, are you in the IRA? And all that sort of stuff. Like the younger generation of ours doesn't take as much offense as it would have, let's say, 10, 15 years ago. And then we find that most people who come particularly to visit our distillery who are like into whiskey are all fairly, fairly decent humans. And for the most part, we're just like fucking middle-class white people in our room, so we're kind of no reason to get upset about anything. <laughs> like, with all fucking due respect, there's yeah. like people out there who have it way worse than we fucking do. Yeah. So, like, us getting upset about racism is almost like a little bit of fucking ridiculous. We have it pretty good here. Yeah, we we feel the same. We, you know, we're in Buffalo, and I'm not sure how how you guys get our social media, but, you know, when the, people come to Buffalo, they just think we're all, like, assholes that jump through tables and butt chug beers and you know it's all it's mostly tourists i i you familiar with american football at all yeah yeah i'm more basketball fan but yeah uh the bills mafia like people come here people come here and jump through tables and they think it's us we're like that i was like i don't know that guy That's like the guy that came here. He's jumping through the fucking table like an asshole. Most most Bills fans are, don't make it to that part. <laughs> yeah. But you talk about bartending, Alan, and the perfect Guinness. I'm a bartender. And some guys, they have no patience for a Guinness. They want their Guinness right away. And I always say, I've always heard the whole seven-minute thing. So I've always met it halfway at three and a half and tried to make it look good. Give me your opinion on the perfect Guinness because there's a lot of these people out there. There is a lot of these people out there. And to be honest, I was, because I, I now come from a bit of a techie background, I was always curious as to like how much of a fucking difference this really makes. But when I moved back to Dublin a year and a half ago for this job from, uh, from Mexico, uh, I went to some of the great Dublin bars for Guinness because there's this sort of, there's these like pillar stones of Dublin Guinness community. And I went to one called the Grave Diggers. I sat down and I ordered, ordered a Guinness and it took probably around the time that you were saying, like, start to finish probably about three minutes, two and a half, three minutes. Because you just wanted to be just wanted to sit, get, get the, the ruby red, not the black, as you say, um, like a parent, and then you want to pop it up. Uh, so the Guinness there was unlike anything I'd ever tasted before in my life, which is crazy to me. Because um, I thought, like, how could it be so different here to the one down the road? And but it was, uh, so I obviously asked the guys because I was like, what are you doing here? That's so different than everybody else. And uh, the real care seems to come from the difference comes from the care you give to the kegs and the, the glassware and the line. So they hand wash all their glassware there. They don't use machines. And then they, when they buy kegs, they buy them in these massive amounts in this huge basement and they let them sit there for two weeks while they rotate them. So the kegs are actually settled themselves that they're pouring it. So there's not this kind of like real volatile nature to the to the beer that's inside it. And uh, you guys you still have to come to fucking Ireland and I'm going to have to show you guys. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So basically what you're saying is the care for the Guinness is behind the scenes, not so much the tender pouring it. Yeah, like they, these guys, they will pour the same way every time. But to them, and I'll ask all more, over, on a number of visits, I've asked them all and they're like, like the way we look after it. the the preparation of the cake is where they clean the differences made and the glassware. So because everyone uses the same nitrogen 
CO2 mix. So it's an 80 20 mix. So it's like 80% nitrogen, 20% uh, CO2 to get that real creamy texture. Everyone else does this thing where you pour a Kiran Guinness uh, badge and then you let it sit. And then, like, they don't want you to leave it sitting there for ages. They want to drink it while it's like fresh off the tap almost. So it's about two and a half to three minute pour. And, like, Guinness is about 15, uh, about a 10 minute drive from where that bar is. So they get it pretty, like, it's pretty direct and pretty fresh. And there's no fucking around with it, really. <laughs> just leave it sit and downstairs in the cellar. Well, you learn something every day, Marky. So you said you uh, you moved back from Guadalajara. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you were doing in Guadalajara. Huh. Uh, I opened, uh, quite foolishly, my fiance and I moved to Guadalajara and opened uh, an independent-only agave spirits bar uh, with fuck-all Spanish uh, with a friend of ours. It was both a crazy adventure and the dumbest fucking decision I've ever made in my life. You can't, you can't no, no water chasers down there. So anybody, you, can't, you can't you can't be serving no, any waters at no, that bar. Absolutely huh? not. <laughs> yeah, all, all of these things I never really thought about were just made like like I, I can't get over how difficult the simple things are in life. There, you know, like having to run to the store to get water all the time is a killer. Um, but like to try and give people water on arrival in a bar, we were like lugging these fucking twenty liter things like day and night in and out from the Seven Eleven. Um, just to make sure people had water on arrival. And that people had, the people that came to our bar, we talked that we were trying to make them stop drinking when we offered them water on arrival. <laughs> to us, it's like good hospitality. Like, hey, here's some water. If you fucking want it, it's fucking hot outside. To me, it was always fucking hot. Um, and then, like, here's your menu. And they would think that we were kind of um, assuming that they were already too inebriated, like, too drunk. And we were trying to slow them down. And we were like, no, like, come fucking party. But, like, also, don't die of dehydration. It's kind of important. Um, yeah, so we did, we did something that was very different for uh, Guadalajara at the time. The, like the hostile community and the people from Mexico in general, I found to be incredible. Like 99% of that country is the most beautiful thing. The best people and the best food. And then there's like this 1% where shit goes from 0 to 90 really fast. And you're like, holy fuck, this is a dangerous situation. Like on our first night, we got held up at gunpoint on the walk home. And like, I've never been at gunpoint before in my life. <laughs> I was like, well, this is fucking surreal. My missus is like uh, Australia, and she's like fucking amazing. She's just like, "Fuck you, no, no!" I was like, "Are we really supposed to deal with the gun, no?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was fucking mad, fucking mad. And I think kind of what saved us is that we didn't speak any fucking Spanish at the time. <laughs> so they were just like telling us something, and she was shouting no. <laughs> and I was like, "I guess fuck you." And then they came to get her bag off her. But because I was so fucking drunk, I was like, oh, they're trying to fucking kidnap my missus. And like, I was, I'm a, like a, a big boy in comparison to these guys. So I was like, get the fucking hands off her. Uh, and which is, once again, a dumb fucking thing. Anyone listening who thinks that this is the right way to deal with the situation, it is not the correct thing to do. Because everyone the next day was like, you fucking idiot. So all in all, it took about 45 seconds. And my missus and I were like, just like, what the fuck just happened there? Uh, her bag, it turns out, had just fucking poo bags with a fucking dog in it. <laughs> and then with me, who they didn't go near, I had, like, all the takings, my fucking laptop, all the phones, all the pills, all the fucking shit in it. So even if they did get her bag, I was like, why were you checking your bag so fiercely? And she was like, I like my bag. I was like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> the fucking shot. Anyway, it's, uh, that was, like, our first fucking night as the bar opened. And uh, it was probably the most hectic it got. But it's fucking pretty crazy. Um, now, so the rest of the rest of Mexico is like a time I'll never forget. 
Now, Alan, did that help business that you were like a folk hero in, in this place already? No, they were like, you're a fucking idiot. You should just give one of your stuff. <laughs> okay. I mean, I appreciate it. Like, that's what I love about Mexico. People just tell me the fucking truth in your face. You know, we're in a country where everyone in Ireland, we all like slatters the scene a little bit because it's like, oh, we're charming. In Mexico, they're like, you're fucking dumb. <laughs> you could have got fucking shot. You fucking idiot. I know. Like, yeah, you're right. I listened to Zamir's podcast before this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've done the coolest shit. I, mean, I hope he's listening. I mean, oh, yeah, he's a fucking listen. man if you listen to this fucking podcast. Um, I feel like, how do I follow that? That was insane. Anyone who has to listen to the Zemir podcast, go back. <laughs> Stop <laughs> listening to me and go listen to Zemir because <laughs> it's so fucking cool. He's, a, he's an amazing individual, and it's crazy how like how educated he is and, you know, where he grew up and the hardships, and it's more recent than you think, you know? Now, we, we, we're talking about bartending. It, something that caught on here is a shot of whiskey and a chaser of pickle juice, and they were calling it a whisk sandwich. <laughs> do you ever hear about this? Do you guys do that shit over there or what? Uh, the pickleback? It's, it's like uh, pickle brine and whiskey. Yeah, we call it a pickleback. Oh, pickleback. Oh, pickleback. Okay. okay, yeah. So you're bartending. How does this ambassador of, I mean, is this like the top of the game of a bartender to be an ambassador? Of whiskey? I mean, I always thought it was when I fucking first, because it's always a dream. So there's a whiskey ambassador, there's a guy who like swamped into the bar, he's got a company card, he puts the card down, he's like, who wants some fucking whiskey? Let's have a good time. And like, when you're working in a bar, you're like, this guy gets to go to bed at like fucking 10 o'clock and he gets to wake up and talk to like other humans. <laughs> and you look at it and you're like, oh, fuck, that's maybe like where we should be headed. Uh, what I found myself doing, even though I have that title, is that I'm, because we're such a young company, I'm much more involved in the sort of building blocks of a young brand, which has been really fun. So I get to do that ambassador, like, oh, hey, let's have a fucking party. Uh, I'm buying, and I also get to do the stuff that I really love. So the, the production, like the, the innovation, like new whiskey side of things, like how do we look at your brand? How do we talk as a brand? You know, what do we have to say? Like, are we, are we just trying to fucking fool people and drinking whiskey? Or what do we stand for? Um, and that's, to me, that's very important because Irish whiskey is at this really, really important time now because we are a young, once again, an old whiskey category, but we're young once again because there's so many new distilleries opening up. Uh, we've, we've got 30 or so open at the moment and quite a few actually producing their own booze. It's obviously quite a few years now before we had a bottle of it because it takes a minimum of three to be called whiskey. And then, you know, if you really want decent quality juice, you're going to have to keep it in the past for a little longer. So it's like, how does Irish whiskey defend itself now that it's a category reborn? You know, there's two very different ideas of the category that my dog at me in the background. Um, she, there is the very light, smooth, approachable style that is in everyone's speedwell all over, all over America and the world. And then there's the sort of more complex one. It's just like that single pot still I mentioned earlier. It's just like red dress and green spot. And that's not something that new whiskey drinkers tend to love a lot of the time. You know, if you're curious about Irish whiskey and you get given one of these big spicy bastards, because we use unbolted barley in the process, people will be a bit like, oh, I don't know if I like that. And But it isn't a fair representation of the full category. Equally, if you just taste or you see people just drinking shots of Irish whiskey with fucking picklebacks, you know, with, with uh, pickle juice in the side, like, I don't think that's the fucking world that I want to be in either. So there's, 
we who are in this middle ground need to like put our best foot forward in everything that we do so that the category can continue to grow, uh, which is extremely important. Your tagline is a bartender's whiskey. Tell us how the how does that how did you guys come yeah. up with that? Uh, that was cool. What we did, so we were owned by a company called Diageo, who uh, I'm not sure if many people will be who are listening, but they own Guinness, they own Glass of Olin, who is uh, Nick Offerman's favorite, they own Kalila, they own Talisker, so like many, many different distilleries. Uh, more or less, another big one. These guys are a huge company who make excellent whiskey very well, and huge amounts, right? Um, and they would have teams in place who produce this together. What we did differently for Vogo is that we went out with the samples of our intended products and went straight to the trade. So we put some bartenders from around Dublin who are like, amazing at what they do, well-known, uh, trusted, and obviously um, aware, aware of what we were trying to do. If you wanted something that you could make some drinks, so therefore couldn't cost a fortune, otherwise drinks would be unattainable to most consumers. And we had them taste it, we had them taste customers with it, we had them make drinks with it. And we got their feedback, and as you guys, from <laughs> listening to you guys do other podcasts, I, you guys are fucking honest too. And partially because you spend your life talking to people, and that's the best way to get your point across. Yeah. And they were very honest with us in, in what they liked and didn't like, which is kind of sometimes difficult to receive that, that sort of information when you put your heart on something. But equally, it makes for a much more interesting discussion. So they said that the ABV wasn't high enough initially, so we went from 40 to 45 percent. They said that the the whiskey tasted pretty good, but the the actual texture and viscosity of the whiskey wasn't amazing. So when you drank an outflow of our whiskey, you didn't like coat your palate, didn't coat your tongue. And there's something about having that big bold uh like texture on your whiskey that makes you feel like you're really drinking whiskey. You know what I mean? If you want something like you to go on your drink like fucking tequila, tequila is delicious, but you know it doesn't stay forever on your palate. Intensify the fucking 
flavor of your steak when you put oil and butter into it. And that's what we do in our whiskey by leaving all those oils and solids in. Even if it does cloud, we're, we're okay with that because we're leaving this key component of our, of our flavor and the ability to unlock it in there. And like a lot of brands don't do that because marketeers don't like the way it looks on the shelf. Let me give you a, a little feedback here what's going on in Buffalo. Your salesman that's selling Rowan Co. whiskey is about six foot eleven. He's a massive man, and he's a great friend of ours. He's a he's a bartender. So, even going further locally, your product is getting sold by by a bartender too, which brings it all together. The Wookie, the Wookie. The Wookie. No, you got to call him. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually went to a Cubs game with him, and you know, uh, American baseball. When somebody takes a ball, a foul ball, away from a kid, and this grown man took a foul ball away from the kid, and then uh, our friend the Wookiee stood up. He gave the ball right back to the kid. <laughs> Fuck, I love it. I love it. Yeah, he and I only spoke a few times, uh, but he seems like a fucking legend. Oh, yeah. He's... Come and see yeah, he's a legend, all right. He will not come on our program. He said, I'm, I'm out of the light. Dude. I'm, out of the, I'm out of the light. Don't, don't, let, don't make me talk anymore. I think it's a pretty funny show. I don't know. I'm sure he'll forgive me for saying this. But he rang me to ask about this, uh, about this call, right? <laughs> he said, hi, how are you? And I said, oh, hey, man, what's up? And uh, he was like, oh, I thought you had like an Irish brogue. <laughs> 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 and he was like, yeah, that's all we're going to be fucking made. <laughs> 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 Thank you. So we got a little bit of the whiskey here. Yeah. Let, tell us what we're tasting when we sip on this, all right? We'll have a little bit. We can do that. And here's how we look about it. We want to try and do the nose and the palate taste, the smell and taste the same. And it's much more difficult than uh, we thought initially. Uh, it requires a huge amount of skill. And our master blender, named Caroline Martin, who's been there for 33 years. So she's amazing at her job. She actually uh, works with Johnny Walker most of the time, <laughs> so producing some of the best blends in the world. And then we are also a little bit of her daily, her daily routine, which is really, really nice. So we managed to three years of making mistakes uh, because we have this. So if you bring it to your nose and have a wee smell, mm -hmm. I guess the first way to start, I'm hoping that you guys will find the evidence of the maturation process that we use. So there should be like vanilla and caramel, a little bit of soft coffee. Oh, yeah. See, when I, when I smell it, I, I, I get that, the wood. I, I was once tricked. Uh, somebody gave me a shot of liquid smoke one time. And... Uh, they said it was Jägermeister oh, or something, and I I whacked it down, and now it's like um, it 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 jumps out at me big time is the wood. Well, that's cool. Um, or, but not cool. Let's all make drink liquid smoke. That's the worst in the world. Um, <laughs> but it's cool that you smell wood because wood is really high in a thing called vanillins, and vanillins are a tree's way of protecting themselves from bugs that try to eat the sap. So if you were ever a kid. And you liked vanilla ice cream, and you saw there was a thing called vanilla essence in your in in one like one pantry in your house, and you thought, "Well, I like vanilla ice cream. This is fucking intense vanilla flavor." I fucking in, and you tasted it, and it's the most bitter, astringent thing in the fucking world, because that's what happens when the vanilla is very attractive from the wood. So those vanillas that you're picking up—that bitterness is what you're picking up from the wood. Uh, essentially, when you taste wood, you're taking vanilla okay. in a very high density. And vanilla, then when they're sort of mellowed out a wee bit, gives you vanilla flavour. So that's cool that you pick that up because we use uh, first fill ex bourbon barrels. So 
example, as you guys know, when you make a bourbon, you can only use the casks once, and then we get them straight from the state and we put all the tea in there, and we're picking up all those amazing flavors that you guys have left down for. And it's a really nice uh, symbiotic culture that we have, where the barrels don't get just fucking wasted, but they get used to produce our whiskey. So our whiskey would be would have that. Uh, someone described it as like um, uh, furniture polish three ones. I was like, oh cool. I'm like don't say that in front of too many people. Although I totally get it. Most people get it. Because human brains are super impressionable. Um, yeah. So that those things would be the big key notes. And we have like there's a bit of spice coming out of there as well because we have the grain content within our whiskey. So we use in Ireland when we talk about grain whiskey, we use corn. So we use maize like you guys. Um, so that's the base of our whiskey because we want to stay with this idea of all the great classic drinks being made with corn-heavy bourbons. Um, okay, but let's just have a taste and certainly boring you about stories about Yeah, let's, let's have a taste. Yeah. Cheers. Do you guys see a similarity between what you smelled and what you tasted? No, I, I, I hear you. I'm, I'm loving the bottling that you have, too. Uh, the Ronco bottle reminds me of old medicine. Yeah, it's got the cork on there, and that's something as a bartender I like. I know that I'm pouring something good when it has a cork. I don't know why, but I, I that's what I think. Yeah. The bottle is actually designed for bartenders as well. Oh no, I, the handle of it is great. If you if you if you open the cork on the bottle, okay. I don't know if you hear that through my mic, but it always makes that noise. So that you can tell in the bar if someone's opening the bottle of Ronco all the time. It's actually much more difficult to achieve for us than we thought it would. We, we like the idea of when you open a whiskey, it makes a fucking noise. Yeah, it's like, ah, oh, yeah. here we go. It's like, oh, uh, the, the bulb in the neck that you have in front of you, I guess it's just a fucking hard story to tell across uh, voice. But anyway, the bulb in the neck represents uh, ASC, so there's a unit of measurement. It's American standard barrel, and that's what you guys use for aging bourbon in. Um, so that, that's the same mirror as that, should be the maturation. And then the bottle itself has this kind of slight incline that's supposed to represent St. Patrick's power. If you find that label down the bottom, you see a power and a tree, um, and it's supposed to mirror that. The colour that we have on our label to us is the colour of Dublin. Technically, the colour is blue, but if you look out across the city from any sort of high point, you'll see this, this vertigree, this oxidized copper colour. Because we're such an ecclesiastical nation, First comes the fucking copper, and now because it's all fucking hard to reach, it's all oxidized and gone this sort of interesting vertigree color. And um, so everywhere you go in Dublin, you see this color, and that's what's really the color of Dublin. And um, so it's all these little touch points. And at the very bottom, you'll see there's a little pair of punt, and so just like a regular punt, and that's a nod to both the tree under the tower and also the chip of the filled Irish malt, which is full of these orchard fruit notes that people talk about all the time. So um, it's really we've given bartenders like four things they can talk about very quickly and get some tips from the customer because they seem like they know a lot about the product. Because that's what, like, at the end of the day, bartenders are there to make money. Like, it's all fun making drinks, but, like, if you're going home poor and hungry, like, you're not going to be doing it for very long. So we, we come from that sort of background with that sort of inclination that we could think about those little details. Amen to that. I'll be pushing it, and I'll be telling the owners of the yeah. establishments. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i enjoying it right now. And, and you know what? It's it's so easy, you know, as a bartender here, we hear, I'll have five JMOs. And first of all, I hate when people say JMO. It's Jameson. But I'm enjoying, I'm not a whiskey guy, Alan. I'll be honest with you. I'm enjoying this right now in the studio with Marky. Yeah, we, see, we have a lot of people who drink. It, what is it? Tullamore Dew. It's Jameson. Powers. Yeah. Um, 
tell our tell our listeners who are you know th- drinking those whiskeys why you should be drinking this. Oh, oh man. <laughs> uh, oh, this is how I, I fucking see the, the I fucking know all those guys from like Baltimore and Denison. I fucking love them. And I mean, what we do, we do something that's very different to what those guys do. I think that's maybe why you should try what uh, the So, with the way that we put all the tea together, we do so with like the single minded purpose to make it like accessible and approachable and very mixable. Whereas when you're drinking these things that are either high in single top still or lower ABV, they sort of accommodate a different kind of a day. So, if you're like looking to really enjoy whiskey, uh, or make that step up from the one that you know and love, but feel like you could do with a little more uh, punchy flavor, and then we're the guys for that. Uh, I would never condemn them, of course. I mean, they, like Jameson and Sandy Rose, and I grew up drinking it. Um, and my mother used to put it on my gums when I was like crying when I was a kid. <laughs> so I could never, I could never have a bad word to say about Jameson, to be honest. Does that does that work on the gums? Huh? I mean, I, fucking, I was a happy kid. I don't know if that's right. <laughs> It's like a different, a different level of crying. It's just like more like emotional crying at the post like just because you're in a feeding. What world have you brought me into? Yeah. Well, I'm going to make a challenge to the local listeners. The local listeners, I'm going to tell them on one day, okay, you can go with your old study of what you normally drink, but on the other day, because there's like three, four days that people go out and drink all day here in Buffalo. I think they're going to add a third parade, to be honest with you, just so they can have another day to drink. But one of those days, I'm challenging the listeners – to just drink Roanco for our buddy Alan here and our buddy the Wookie. Yeah. Also, I I, I I read a little bit about your cocktail contest, and there was one guy who made a cocktail, and it reminded me of something. People do this uh, bathing. They bathe their whiskey or bathe bourbon, and he said that this whiskey in particular uh, absorbs fats better. Is is that something that you uh, push forward making oh, yeah. cocktails? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the process of fat washing is really interesting. It's like, I wish they'd given it, like, a sexier name when they had created this the technique. The thing about fat washing is you can do it with almost anything. Is you put anything that's high in fat content into a whiskey, and the alcohol that's within it will strip the fat. Uh, you then either freeze it or strain it, very finely strain it, and you remove the solid. So you're just left with the facts of whatever solid it was. So rather than thinking about it as in, like, fatty food, think about things that are high in oils and fats, like chocolate. So if you, for example, put a bar of chocolate into, into raw and go, it'll strip away all the whey fats and the milk-based properties of it that gives it that creamy, delicious flavor. And then you're left, once you strain out of the chocolate, you're left with this like amazing chocolatey version of our whiskey. Um, with the competition recently, we've been drinking loads of different things. Uh, one that I really enjoyed was like coconut and white chocolate. So there was like an infusion of uh, white chocolate and cocoa, uh, coconut um, cream into Ronco, and it's just like the most delicious fucking shit ever because <laughs> all those flavors complement each other. So you have all like slightly sweet whiskey um, with all like caramels and poppies of vanillas, and then you have the coconut cream element, and then you have this underlying like deliciousness from the white chocolate, and that's just like this perfect storm of flavor you have now in a bottle with very little effort because you're just letting time do all the hard work and the alcohol content. Uh, so it's interesting. So if you have that flavor, and what they did in the end was they made like a grasshopper variant. They like made a mint syrup, a blanched mint syrup. So it was like bright green when I tasted it and just like shook the drink with the two, with the two ingredients. And it was like delicious. And so it's cool to see that bartending getting that really 
a kitchen standard level of technology. You know, that, that advancement in techniques as opposed to having to do everything through cordials nowadays. People are using kitchen techniques. So let me get this straight, Alan. Let me, let me interrupt you here. Let me get this straight. I, I'm going to start putting chocolate in my Ronco whiskey. Are you, are you telling me that that's the way to go here? Because I think you're onto something. Here. I mean, if you if you want to, absolutely. Like, and you can you can play around with different chocolate sides. It's the bartender's whiskey, James. Ah, I guess so. Absolutely, like fucking absolutely. So people, like, here's here's like a good example. Like, a Manhattan is an amazing drink, right? I don't know how often people own them nowadays anymore. I think people like the idea more than they do. But there's cheap enough distillers and there's whiskey. So if you were to use Ronco as the base, infuse that with, uh, let's say, what's fucking super high fat and delicious. So it's from bacon? This conversation. If you were to infuse it with, with bacon, bacon is a good way, but like, have you ever tried just like simply using butter? It's really cool. Butter? So when you add butter to whiskey and then you, you freeze the whiskey and you take the and you put the whiskey in the freezer, the only thing that freezes is the butter. So you, you could do it in the bottle, you'd have to do it in like Tupperware, take the butter out, uh, put it through a coffee filter, and then you have butter-washed, butter-fat-washed whiskey. And the texture that that whiskey will have would be fucking insane because it will cover your whole palate and it's just full of those delicious fats inside. So, oh, I make it sound so unsexy. It is delicious. Holy shit, I'm really bad at my job. Uh, so there is the butter-washed whiskey, um, sweet vermouth, and then you have some bitters. But like, if you replace Angostura bitters with chocolate bitters, you have like this like amazingly textured drink that suddenly has all the rich red fruit of your sweet vermouth, this dark chocolate from the bitters, and then this buttery texture that and this viscosity that just completely overwhelms your taste buds when you drink it. So you just have this like massive flavor explosion. I feel like fucking Manhattan, but it is just like a, a different level, a different way of thinking about how to get flavor into yeah, so and and I I've I've just been reading a lot about it, and people just say that this particular whiskey does it best. That is it's pretty cool that we've been we pointed out for that, and a lot of it's due to the higher alcohol content in our in our whiskey, so it's not improved. Um, and then also we don't use that chill filtration process, so our whiskey is already packed full of uh, fat. So that it's, they all molecularly just cling to each other, so you're just getting this really enhanced experience. I used to know this guy used to come around. He was a whiskey connoisseur, but this guy he was he was from Ireland too. He one scary motherfucker. He used to eat the glass that he would drink the whiskey out of after. And the other day when when I heard you were ha- coming on, I seen this guy, which was like. <laughs> I haven't seen him in probably six, seven years. But whiskey, whiskey I think now, as I get older, I, I see people drinking it like gentlemen. But back in the day, I mean, seeing people throw down shots and eating glass, whiskey has evolved into a gentleman's uh, gentleman's choice, I would say, Alan. I fucking I blame Matt, man. <laughs> I blame John Draper. I mean, both for the resurgence and for the fucking way people think they should be I think well, how they should speak or how they should be doing things when they drink it. I, I hear like the craziest shits. Uh, and it's all based on fucking John Hamm just being a handsome fucker in a TV show. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, it's cool. Uh, you know, but these things will always be taken. Like, people just want to be John, like, people want to be John Draper, and I mean, that's fine. But 
like you get arrested nowadays you do some of the shit that I did. Uh, but I'm going to bars and I'm cigarettes and fucking cigars and I think it's fucking good. I mean, the world unfortunately has changed a wee bit, but I'd like to say, like, with these becoming uh, like an everyday thing as opposed to, um, you know, with your father <laughs> on a wedding day. So I, I know that you're not here to, to break down anybody else's uh, business or whatever, but we have had this uh, this boom of craft beer. With with your whiskey, do you think it's a good thing because you're a good whiskey? And, you know, it's like, yeah, go and make your whiskey. We appreciate it. We need more whiskeys. You know, we know we're good. How do you, how do you view it with your boom of Irish whiskey? Because when we see our boom of craft beer... You know, sometimes you you don't even go try the other one because you're like, it might just be this whatever. Do you go and try everything? Is that the, the what you do? I mean, the only the only Irish whiskey brand that I will ever have something to say about, particularly publicly, is fucking Conor McGregor's whiskey. Okay, all right. I, I don't know. Maybe this will maybe this will either 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 I'll end up getting the fight that didn't want one and kick the shit out of me, or uh, people will. Listen. Because um, he will destroy me. Although he's like half my size, because he's probably the fuck he's of a bagel fighter, so I'm never going near him. <laughs> but the um, Conor whiskey is not of an amazing quality, and I won't go because people who make the whiskey work very hard, and they are unrelated in every single way. They're up north in Bushmills, working their ass off, trying to create an amazing spirit. Right? So he buys their whiskey at a very young age, puts it into a bottle, and then goes on stage and fucking makes an ass out of himself. And as if he went to bed violent, and with the reality, he's punched fucking old dudes in bars here in Dublin. He's been up for numerous fucking other things. Like, I'm not here to, to, to cause information of, of Conor McGregor, but, like, people thinking that that's what we are now kind of upsets me a little bit because we're a much different race than he literally could believe. It, 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 when, when it lost, the, the amount of fucking whiskey sales and the immediate attention that it drew was unbelievable. There was millions of people that would never drink whiskey we're trying it because they all fucking watch UFC and they all fucking like Conor McGregor because he was at the time one of the peak athletes in the world. He was cocky and he was arrogant and he was very engaging and like I was one and I was like fucking Conor McGregor the best. And then all this shit came out and I'm like, oh, he's just gone back. It happens to be very good at fighting, uh, which is a very <laughs> common fucking thing in this world. People will be asking all the time, like, do you hate what he does uh, to Irish whiskey? Because people take his whiskey and it's not amazing and they think that's what Irish whiskey is. And they leave them thinking like it's a shit fucking category and a shit product. Um, but what I would say about it is that like hey, those people who drink it would never have tasted Irish whiskey ever before. And then if they so happen to go into a bar because they drink Conor McGregor whiskey in a cafe and we're the other option and they taste all whiskey, they'll be like, oh fuck, <laughs> like this is fucking delicious. This is what whiskey is in Ireland, and I'm, I'm okay with I'm okay with that. Right. I mean, like, opening the world eyes to what, what we do here now is what's most important. And, like, mm -hmm. uh, you never go into a position where everything is delicious. Like, it just can't simply be. Like, Samir, when he was talking about his block, like, Samir has a higher job than I do, so I love Because he, he spends all this time and effort to produce an excellent quality spirit, and there's about fucking 90 million shitty bottles kids in the world where they're just using all the fucking excess and stuff. Um, some like different fucking um, way times and all sorts of things. So he has a very tough job. Like nine hundred percent of Irish whiskey is pretty good. But if you're gonna sell whiskey, it'd be you have a guy from Ireland selling it, and if you're gonna sell vodka, you got a Russian guy to <laughs> sell it. I mean, you're you're ahead of the game there. You know what I mean? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, 
I do notice in Buffalo we, we've had a lot more craft cocktail places open, and people are taking better care of their their liquor. Uh, do you see that in Ireland, and is that something that you just appreciate to see, like, worldwide? Yeah. So I guess I'm very fortunate, I guess, to like not travel with my job. Uh, and it is just seems to be the way the world is moving at the moment. Because people's jobs now are so demanding of them, you can't just go and sink, like, eight pints of beer and then rock up on Monday morning and be like, hey, let's fucking get that spreadsheet out and <laughs> keep the business afloat because people aren't simply capable. You can't smash like fucking double IPAs and then show up the next day and be 100%. It's just not possible. So people are deciding to choose maybe four great drinks instead of eight like fine ones. And that really is well, a great benefit for us because that's what we're all about. We're about drinking. You don't have to drink as much, but when you do drink, let's make, let's make sure that it's delicious every time. The perception of alcohol and how we consume it is changing at such a rapid pace. Like the, the rise of like non-alcoholic beer and these non-alcoholic spirits like everywhere. Like people are happy. They realize that it's a social interaction that they love a lot of the time, not even the, not even the whiskey or the beer or the gin. Or, they just want to be out with other people. So if they can do stuff in a sort of more measured way, still, still have that social engagement and then go to work the next day and be firing all cylinders, I think it's a win for everybody. We want to talk about St. Patrick's Day there, Alan, because... I don't know if you know this, but we have one of the largest parades in the United States here in Buffalo. It's a shit show. Not only do we have one, then we have the old neighborhood parade where all the Irish settled in to work as scoopers and things like that locally, and they got jobs. So we we want to know what your impressions are of the way that we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Have we bastardized it? Let me know, Alan. Too. So <laughs> when we spoke uh, earlier in the week about this, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm talking, I'm just going to go fucking go through this shit. And then I was like, afterwards, I was like, fuck, do I really want to like really offend <laughs> like, people who fucking love this part of Irish culture? Like, to me, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's really? Ridiculous. Yeah, uh, we know it. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I have a question, actually. Is, is, are your parades going to go ahead because of the fucking coronavirus? Oh, nobody gives a fuck about the coronavirus here. Yeah. It's Buffalo. They wash their hands. And, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's just no. There, there is. The, if they should stop anything, they should stop our hockey games. But the parades, nobody's going to stop these parades. Not even a fucking virus. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I think like the whiskey will kill most of them here. Yeah, the yeah, whiskey they're, they're, will kill it. They're thinking about canceling it here in Dublin. Really? Which will be nuts. Like, no St. Patrick's Day in Dublin will be fucking crazy. Yeah. Just because there's such a high amount of people in the adventure, a lot of people in one area. Just takes one dude to pull a cop, and then we're all fucked. Yeah. So, the tourism. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. They're taking it super seriously over here. Well, I've been saying, everybody just stay home. Don't travel for a little while. Let's just wait this out. And then. A buddy of mine the other day said, oh, I'm going on a cruise. I'm like, what are you, fucking stupid? <laughs> Stay home with your family. Let it pass. Let's see where it goes. And sit back and enjoy some uh, Ronco whiskey, right, Alan? It's wild. I mean, I don't know. The media is kind of crazy. You never really know what to believe, I guess. It's it's scary, but, you know, I, I've i been washing my hands and stuff, but I've always washed my hands. <laughs> That's what I don't get. Like, how many people weren't washing I mean- their hands? This is the fucking crazy thing is that there's all these like wash your hands things going up and I'm like, why is this the information that you're being told? I'm sure everyone washes their fucking hands and it turns out that no one fucking washes their hands. So gross. Like I talk things that other people talk all the time.
<laughs> you got to check out the episode with Tommy McDonald. He's a bar- old bartender, and he says whenever you walk out of a bathroom as a bartender, you got to pretend you're at least drying your hands. <laughs> I mean, that's the trick in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so you're St. Patrick's Day. What What is it like for you guys? For us, it is like floats, and it's like the Macy's Day Parade here. Yeah, so we, we have, so it'll be like a thing for families. So parents will bring their kids. There'll be lots of floats. Uh, like, at schools. I, I haven't been to a parade in, like, fucking 15 years. So I don't know what it is like nowadays. I suspect the fucking production value has gone up. But, like, it's like tourists and families. And I dread March 17th because I don't want to have to walk anywhere in the city. Uh, so I will stay either at home or in, like, a local bar where they're not fucking throwing a party. My, my, my local bar in Dublin is called the Thomas House. And the owner is one of those Reddit things where he's like, I am a, and he's like, I'm an Irish bar owner on St. Patrick's Day, ask me anything. And he's been doing it for like six years, and it's like the most popular thing on Reddit every year, and he's like a grumpy old fucker. Uh, he's a good dude, but he's grumpy as shit. Uh, and like, he just fucking hates his life. Like, we, just, <laughs> we just hate St. Patrick's Day if you're in the hospitality trade, because people who never drink are suddenly drinking 16 fucking beers, and they are like hanging off the fucking ceiling, getting sick in the fucking toilet, and making rashes in the toilet. And you're like trying to be polite because the customer is always fucking right, apparently. And you're like, oh, look, I love how much this you managed to get on the fucking chairs, but could you please leave? Like, it's a great fucking achievement, but fuck you, who gets the fuck out of it? Um, so that's what, like, like the hostility starts off the back of the day, I'm great, to be honest. Uh, it's just like, we're supposed to get people's shit. And then for one day of the year, there's like, then anything goes. Fucking cars that they can play. Well, oh, yeah, I'm an asshole most days, but today I am the worst version of myself. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. Well, this Saturday, well, we're recording this before the Shamrock Run. We have a little 5K run where then you go get drunk all day after. Then we have a local parade, like I said, where the, the old neighborhood in the old First Ward. Then we have the, the, uh, the big parade in downtown Buffalo. Then we have the actual day. Then there's a breakfast where all these politicians, these Irish politicians, and uh, some people from your country come. So this is a busy month for us. The shenanigans are about to get started this Saturday for us. It, it's it's crazy here. Holy it, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, is, there any, is, there any, is there any recorded death? I mean, I don't know how I survived. Oh, no, I got one. A buddy of mine got ran over by a float. <laughs> And then, and then the next year they had a chalk, chalk outline for him, <laughs> but he didn't die. He, he, he no kept way. That's fucking awesome. Okay, another, another. Uh, our culinary <laughs> staples are fucking. Uh, is the corned beef and cabbage thing? Like I, I still don't understand it. Oh, corned beef. Yeah, corned beef isn't as big here as people think it is at all. Uh, corned beef would be like Christmas time only, in my experience. I wouldn't, I wouldn't see it any other time of the year. Wow. So what what do you guys what are the, you got to eat something you know you have to like you said you need water you need to what are you guys eating on St I Patrick's mean, Day? I, I'm not going to talk about that root vegetable that you guys don't want me to say. I won't do it. I won't. Do, um, yeah. So we obviously are firm believers in the church on potatoes. You like potatoes a lot in this fucking country. Oh. They were they've been they've been a cruel mistress throughout the famine, but in general, potatoes are delicious. Uh, and actually. 
We have a we have like a giant uh, memorial. We have the Irish famine memorial here. It's, it's a really nice thing. Yeah, there's there, it's very strong Irish culture yeah, here in the Buffalo area. It really sounds like it. Yeah, it's a pretty fucked time in our history. Man, you know, you've heard the fucking phrase "luck of the Irish." Yes. Yeah. I mean, like where has the luck ever been fucking displayed? <laughs> we fucking nearly got wiped out by the fucking potato. We fucking our refugee culture fucking nearly died. I mean, we're lucky we're alive. It's probably what the fucking thing is. I mean, the fact that we still exist. Uh, in terms of food, we do, like, it would be just the quality of the produce. So when you, like, the actual, the, the actual, like, nerdy answer is countries that have these amazing cuisines and dishes and things like curries and stuff that would be, like, heavily vinegared and preserved, we never have to do that in Ireland because our country is so abundantly good at growing fresh vegetables and fruit and anything that we needed to survive is that we just threw the shit out because we had too much of it. So we never had to focus on preserving anything apart from cereal grains. So when you had cereal grains like barley, you would make bread. When you had too much bread and it was going off, people decided to fucking uh, add yeast to it and make beer. When you had so much beer that you guys couldn't fucking drink all of it, you needed to keep the beer. You put it through stills, and that's how whiskey and sort of spirits became. So we've been, like, essentially, we're very lucky with the island that we've been, that we, uh, that we have here, that we just grow because it fucking rains all the time and the soil is fucking super <laughs> full of nutrients. But uh, in terms of cuisines and dishes, like, it's fresh food is what we're very good at. So we have amazing access to seafood all around our coast, some of the best oysters in the world, some of the best fish in the world. We have these amazing uh, vegetables that grow here. Like a lot of it is only stuff that could survive shitty weather and rain. <laughs> like we do good carrots and shit and potatoes and cabbages and, and like this sort of style. But uh, the fact that we don't have any like indigenous cuisine beyond stews and roasts and things that keep people warm and are full of nutrients for shitty weather and hard working days is just the reason because we we have we have the bounty of it apart from that time of the time. Yeah, there's a there was an Anthony Bourdain episode where he went and he ate uh, some sort of stew and he said on one side of the river they make it different than another, kind of like a Manhattan New England clam chowder thing. What is that? Is that is that something? Uh, you guys are talking about? Are you talking about chowder and coddle? Are you talking are you coddle, about coddle? Coddle. That's what it is. Is it, is it chowder and coddle, which is like, yeah. Um, so that's in Dublin, right? So um, I wonder what the the equivalent is in the states. Is there any, I, I suspect New York is the one, but basically, is there any place where it's like the capital and everyone thinks it's the center of the fucking uh, the state and then there's like the rest of the country like is like, fuck that place. Basically, <laughs> everyone here around Ireland is like, fuck all of this, it's so good. Um, and they had this thing called coddle, which would be like a meat plate, a meat-based meat or broth um, that they would have. So it doesn't really exist in the rest of Ireland. And then uh, everyone around the rest of the country would, would eat chowder because seafood would be very, very available. Yeah. But, I mean, th- I, th- that's what the, one of my, my biggest things is, like, we do this corned beef and cabbage thing, and we should probably be making coddle. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, sorry, you guys, you, you guys do corned beef and cabbage stuff? Oh, my good that's God. That's all there is, It Alan. is, oh, every single menu has to have it. We don't have menus that don't have chicken wings, beef on whack, and... Anything with corned beef. No fucking way. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's crazy to me. It yeah. is cookie cutter. 
Yeah, you got to have corned beef, and then sometimes they put sauerkraut and Thousand Island dressing, always with rye bread, and something with uh, Weber's mustard. A horseradish mustard with corned beef rye bread is the go-to here around this time of year. Uh, I mean, I have to fucking come visit. I think that just seems to be the easy part to go Definitely. Alan, we'll, you fly over. We'll show you around. <laughs> we'll even bring the Wookiee along to protect you. <laughs> You should have the Wookiee as the face of Rowan Kowalski. He kicked the shit out of Conor McGregor. If you just want to watch me get beaten up by a smaller man, then you're more than welcome. But I don't know if that's going to make for great viewing. I'm supposed to be in America in April. Oh, uh, so maybe I can fucking swing back. I'll be fucking cool. Oh, man. Come to Buffalo. You, it, it's, it's a really unique place. I mean, yeah. we talk down on it. We can't leave. We're, we're stuck here. We're contractually stuck here. For the next 25 years, uh, we're not going anywhere. So in the next 25 <laughs> years, please come. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I talked to Wookiee. I'd love to call the Wookiee. Well, today we had three gentlemen talking about whiskey. It was great. Ronco whiskey is, a, a, you know. Have fun of... with your cocktail, man. Everybody yeah. should have fun with this stuff. It, it, it's, it's a unique. It is very unique, and it's got a cool story, and I'm glad you told it. Yeah, Rowan Co. Whiskey, you, you, we'll be putting it out where you can find it in western New York. In, uh, Alan Mulv Hill, <laughs> you are now licensed to talk. I got the name right, right? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're as close as you're, you're, you're close enough. I, mean, I got a bad Buffalo really accent. Well, Alan, you are licensed to talk, and we have a new friend here, it seems, uh, with Rowan Co. Whiskey and with Alan. And, Alan, anytime you want to stop by the Buffalo area, uh, we're a city of good neighbors, and we'll treat you well, and we'll show you around. Try drinking a, a few of these, and now I'm in the middle of the day, so wish me luck, brother. Yeah, it's only noon here. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, you guys just fucked your day. Even better. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, Alan, thanks again, and you are an ambassador of whiskey, and you are now a friend of License to Talk. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Fucking absolute pleasure. All right, we'll be in touch, brother. All right, talk to you soon. Later. Thank you.